And then also understanding that your circumstances doesn't dictate your growth. Hi, my name is Prince Daniels Jr. And I'm a former NFL running back, an author and thought leader who lives by the mantra, nothing is impossible unless you truly believe it is. I found the Game Beyond the Game Talk that talk as a place for thought-provoking and inspiring conversations with professional athletes discussing life's transitions. Game Beyond the Game is an ecosystem for professional athletes to cultivate the mindset to discover their overall purpose and vision in the game of life. And now, it's time to talk that talk with your MC, Stan Pearson II, and myself, Prince Daniels Jr. Now it's my pleasure to introduce our special guest. He's a good guy. You're going to know this right away. Great smile, too. Don't think I didn't see the early white. <laughs> Born and raised on the bayou of Gramercy, Louisiana, David Pivot is a former NFL quarterback. He currently serves as a regional transport supervisor under the G&P entity of Marathon Petroleum with an MBA from Tulane University. He also serves on the board of the Demons Unlimited Foundation of Northwestern State University and is a high school football coach where he engages with student athletes to help develop sound character traits and skills. Today, he will be sharing with us his story of overcoming life's challenges and transition from the game. Ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are, clap your hands and stomp your feet. Mr. David Pittman. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> don't, melt, don't melt your mouth. I mean, don't melt, melt your mic. Yeah. <laughs> How you feeling, David? What's happening? Talk to us. How you doing? Hey, I'm feeling good, man. I'm, I'm blessed to be here with you guys, man. And uh, just looking forward to having a great time and uh, enjoying this conversation uh, to where we can, you know, help each other to grow and help our uh, fellow fellow athletes, you know, along their, their journey in life. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome, bro. Awesome, awesome. You know, you're Louisiana cats. I mean, you know, you always got a special kind of swag. Tell me, talk to me about that. I meet a lot of people from Louisiana. It's just something about y'all. I, I got to know, what is it? Is it, there seems like an aura, a confidence, just a vibe. What is it, what is it about Louisiana that you all just seem to walk tall shoulders back all the time? But let me put them shoulders up first, you know. <laughs> no, nah, but I mean, honestly, uh, I mean, I just think that, uh, you know, a lot of time when people reference the South, they talk about Louisiana, Atlanta, Florida. Uh, I, I believe that uh, we all, Texas too, we all have kind of like our own <laughs> little unique thing going on. Um, but it's just, I don't know, something about being, you know, down here on the bayou and we just really, really unique. The food is good. Maybe it's the food, you know what I'm saying? It's just something in the food and the spices. You can't go anywhere else and get it, you know. So, I mean, I think that may attribute to kind of who we are as a as a people. So, and I, I think it's also answering your own questions, uh, you know, because you're asking questions, then you'll be like, you heard me? Indicators in Louisiana because they gonna make sure. <laughs> I also believe too that uh, we kind of have our own little like special dialect um, compared to a lot of other places. You know, like we can sit and be in a conversation with a few people that aren't from here and can sound as clear as day. But as, as soon as we start having a conversation with each other, people be like, man, wait, what are y'all doing? What are y'all talking about? Like, is that a new language y'all created? You know, it's just never heard that before. So, so we're kind of unique in that instance, too. So that's awesome. No place like home. And so briefly, you know, what was it like, you know, growing up in Louisiana? How, you know, how was it growing up and how do you feel like you developed? I know that you mentioned, obviously, in the bio, you know, uh, helping guys develop, you know, their charisma and, and skill sets. So what was like what was it like for you growing up and developing those those character traits? Oh so first off what I'll say is that uh like Gramercy is a very, very small town. Um I think when I was growing up it was probably population two, three thousand or something like that. Um and it's kind of nestled right in between uh Baton Rouge and New Orleans. So one of the things that I would say is that we being nestled right in the middle, you can kind of go get 
uh, the vibe from the Baton Rouge gym, but then you can also get the different cultural experience on the New Orleans. And even though they're both in Louisiana, they kind of have, you know, a little bit different culture uh, between the two. So um, what I would say is that being able to go to, to both of those kind of helped me to grow. But then also, um, you know, I think when you're when you grow up in a small town, but then you get to get exposed to like the city life, uh, what it does is there is a unique like growth phase in there because of that exposure where if you someone from the city, I don't think you necessarily get to get that experience because you're not necessarily going to just go visit like small town, you know, and be able to embrace that small town culture. So I believe that play, played a big part into who I am today. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Sounds like you got a chance to get the, 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 without, the without upbringing to the with. Um, where it's, it's, it's like a plentitude of like um, exposure just going to the city. But when you're in the country, you know, you just have, you, you don't really know how strong you are. You know, they use that term uh, cock strong. And so there, there are no weights, you know, there are officially no weights that you can lift. You just know you go lift that haystack. You strong. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's awesome, man. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like, yeah, we going to the gym. You're going to go flip some tires, you know what I'm saying? Like you use what you have. Exactly. <laughs> go pick up that chair. <laughs> right. That's amazing. Yeah. Literally the, the best of both worlds. Actually, all three worlds were being right in the middle, but the best of both worlds. There's a lot of folks don't understand that, you know, being able to come back to, let's say, a, a smaller town where maybe you know everyone, everyone's kind of helping everyone. And then being able to go into the city, then come back and breathe and see, just relax. I think. Did you find that there was some benefit to being able to, I don't know, recluse or come back to, let's say, the, the small town and relax a little bit, as opposed to being in the busy city 100% of the time? Yeah. So, you know, there's a certain dynamic of the big city where it's kind of like the, the hustle and bustle. You know what I'm saying? It, the city doesn't sleep, you know? And there's always traffic. Um, but then it, when you come back to the small town or to the country, you know, you can sit out on your on your back porch at night uh, right before dawn and you can hear the crickets. You know what I'm saying? You get to see the sunset and you don't you don't have all of the bright lights. You don't have all of the traffic. It's just kind of like peace and quiet. And you kind of get to get in tune with your inner self. You know what I'm saying? To sort of say where you can you can process, you know, these thoughts about like your internal growth or, you know, what, where you want to go in life and uh, and kind of use that, you know, on your day to day um, path to whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So so that's what I think is one of the, the big benefits of kind of like being out like kind of in the country versus living in the city. Heck yeah, that reflects time. Thanks for pointing that out. I think sometimes even younger people have to know that, hey, it's okay to be able to sit back and chill and listen to the, let's say, birds chirp or crickets or whatever. Like there's life in those things is looking at the sky as well. So thank you for that point. And before I turn it over to Prince, I want to ask, you know, as you developed as an athlete, did you know, that, hey, one day I'm going to be on, on the big stage. I'm going to be the 1% of people doing the be being the best of what they do. I think um, as I started to get older or um, like in my, I guess my sophomore year in college, I kind of started to understand that some. But I mean, when I was younger, uh, like teenage years or preteen, it was just all about like, competing with friends and family around the neighborhood you know what I'm saying like you would we would race up and down the street you know what I'm saying it might be nine ten o'clock at night we running up and down the street without shoes on or something you know what I'm saying that's that country living boy I tell yeah. you. <laughs> if you can run without shoes on you better give me some gym shoes and watch what happens yeah, you know what I'm saying? so I mean it was, it was like we just 
we just would compete at like everything. It would be um, who can like skip a rock on the water. You know what I'm saying? Who can try to like jump over the fence without touching it? Just any and everything. Who can jump over the ditch the furthest? Like just any little thing that you can compete at. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what we did, and I think that kind of like built that foundation to kind of help mold me. But um, during that time frame, it, it really wasn't like this big thought on, hey, I'm going to be like a one percenter. You know, I actually was kind of like a late bloomer. Um, I always used to hang around like the older kids because I felt as though like I could learn a lot more from them than I could like, you know, people my age. Um and when I was younger, I used to be always told by elders that, you know, I somewhat had somewhat of an old soul. So I think that also um, pushed me to migrate towards them some. And the guys that I grew up around were like tremendous athletes. So I just always, you know, competed with them and fed off of that energy. And then... As I progressed and went to college, I still had the opportunity to do that with older guys um, that was already at school once I got there. So it was like, even though I went to this small university, it was kind of like a blessing in disguise. You know what I'm saying? So when I was in the midst of it, I, I didn't totally interpret it the way that I'm interpreting it now. And I totally, totally didn't understand that until later on when I was reflecting back on it. So, I mean, I am very appreciative of, of all of those experiences would um, help me to, you know, to make it to the NFL. So, Man, that's awesome, man. So it seems like you stand out no matter what. So you, know, you started off by living in the country, racing with no shoes on up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Flipping haystacks, you know, <laughs> all of the above. But then um, you, you end up um, – uh, just knowing more about the city, you know, going to the city. And then after that, uh, you said you went to a small school. And from a small school, you get drafted uh, to the Baltimore Ravens in the third round. And, uh, like, that's an incredible feat in itself. And so you had to be a standout athlete um, in a small school to get uh, drafted, you know, uh, very high. And, um you know, congratulations on that, man, because that's 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 a great accomplishment. So tell us a little bit about uh, college, man. What was the college like? And like you said, uh, during your sophomore year, you started to blossom. But like, what was the blossoming process like? What did you see? Did you see yourself uh, evolving, you know, knocking people out, you know, making interceptions? Just like, how did you evolve? So one of the things that, that kind of helped me. So when I first got to college, um, what college did you go to? I went to Northwestern State okay. in, in Natchitoches, Louisiana. So when I first got there, the university was actually, um, they had a, a pretty good second, well, a good secondary. Um, it was kind of known for like having defensive backs that went to the NFL. Um, and I wasn't even really aware of this until I got there. Um, but I remember that was a, a cornerback named Kenny Wright. He he played before I got there, but one of the coaches had this painting in his office, and it was like uh, three three quarters of the world is covered by water, the other quarter is covered by Kenny. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was just like, man, <laughs> like wow, that's you know what I'm saying? That's huge, and then. Um, uh the other guys that I played with, they were just they were always very competitive. Um there was a set of twins, uh Carrie and Jerry Goldsmith. They weren't big guys, they were like tiny, but they can play ball and cover, you know. And then me myself, I wasn't a big guy, so that kind of boosted my confidence even more. And then uh we had a another older cornerback, Terrence McGee who was drafted by the Buffalo Bills, I think in 2004 in the third round. Right. And uh, 
We used to call him Turtle because he was always <laughs> quiet. <laughs> like he wouldn't say nothing, like nothing at all. He can knock somebody out and you wouldn't get no excitement at all. <laughs> yeah, that Kawhi Leonard syndrome. Yeah, I'm saying like, man, I, I know you got something in you, man. Like, give me something. <laughs> so, but um, just seeing like those guys' work ethics and what was already instilled in me from competing as a kid, like you said, uh, flipping haystacks or running up the side <laughs> of the levee, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, like that just that helped me along my journey seeing them and the way that they competed and the amount of work that they put in um and then what i did was my sophomore year like i was saying i had a game that uh i had a bad game a very bad game well actually before that i almost quit i almost quit football really Honestly, yeah. What was so bad? You quit football, quit the game? How many so, times? <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm, kidding. I'm gonna tell you what, what happened. I had a knee injury, and then when I came back and I rehabbed from the injury, um, like I said, I had all these good cornerbacks in front of me, but I was trying to practice, and the coaches were kind of like, "Nah, you know, you don't think you're ready," and all of that stuff. But I'm like, "Man, I think I'm ready." So it was a little bit discouraging. And then I was like, man, I think I'm about to just get this up, you know, because they didn't want to let me practice. I was like, man, I'm just out here doing nothing, you know, and I'm like, I just want to compete. That's it. And then I had a talk with a couple of uh, practice squad guys, actually. And they was like, man, you got a, this opportunity in front of you. And you know what I'm saying, man? You just got to kind of give it some time. Like, they're looking out for your best interest. You just came back from an injury. So I sit and I kind of pondered on all of that. And, you know, that kind of motivated me more to, you know, to continue to do what I was doing. So um, after that, started playing a little bit. Got to my sophomore year. I think we were playing Elon. I think, which is from like North or South Carolina. And they had this good receiver and the guy caught like two, three touchdowns on me. <laughs> like, like bombs. <laughs> Some of like 40, 50 yard catches, man. And it was like <laughs> wonderful halftime. And you know, when you out there, when you out down the island by yourself, man, and, uh, Everybody only get to see you, you know what I'm saying? They don't see when the D-line mess up. They just see somebody just been caught a 40, 50 yard bomb on you. They're striking up the band, the chip, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, man, just was feeling like that small. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So and just had a bad, bad game, man. And um I had a talk with actually a receiver coach. So one day he was off. He called me in the office and we had to sit down. And he was like, man, there's two ways you can go from this. You know what I'm saying? You can either look at this and let it like break you and it gets stuck in your head and it kills your confidence. Or you can use this as a learning moment and let it build, you know what I'm saying, your character and who you're going to be as a player. So, and that was Coach uh, Mason. And uh, so after that, that next game, caught an uh, uh, caught an interception, uh, ran it back, didn't score a touchdown, but ran it back five but 20, 30 something yards. You know what I'm saying? And then after that, what I started doing was I started looking at every cornerback who was in my conference that were like uh, all conference, and then we had something that was like all Americans. So every week I would pull their stats and I would say to myself, I have to outcompete them every week. If I want to get to where I'm going, I need to outcompete him. So yeah. if he had seven tackles, I needed to get nine or ten. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if he had an interception, I needed to try to get an interception and a fumble. So nice. every week, yeah. uh, that's what I, I did for like the next two to three years. And then you know, it was just then that practice, it was just competing against the receivers and we would have fun with it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we yeah. just have fun. So that's what 
helped me a lot. <laughs> nice, man. It, you know, it reminds me of one of our, our, our other guests, Devora Darling, you know, one of our old teammates. He, mm-hmm. he talked about that. He talked about when um, um, him and his brother, rest in peace, um, when they wanted to, to get to the NFL, he, they, he said that his uncle was his cousin, man. I think he said it was his, his cousin. Yeah. His cousin came in and threw down a, a small little handbook that Mel Kuyper had. And he said, threw it on the table. He said, if I want to be in the NFL, you got to be able to beat everybody in that book. So it reminds me of that, just how you started looking at um, your competition or the people in your position. And you were just like, I'm going to outdo you, outdo you, outdo you, and outdo you. So that is, I feel like that's the secret sauce to what allowed for you to um, to be drafted and, and and to make that that change and that uh, evolve because you knew that you had something in you where you felt like I can outdo them, I can beat them, and I can and and that's just the small things. You wasn't looking like I could beat them to make to the NFL. You were just like let me just do these small things. <laughs> I'm better than you. You <laughs> are better than you. So come on, like let's go. You know, so that's awesome, man. I love that. And, and I want to admire your intentionality. Some people mistake, let's say, competition, but they just compete with whoever. Oh, I see. Oh, I'm competing. Oh. When it's like, yeah, you just don't want to find yourself competing against anybody. You want to be intentional, like, oh, you're the best, or you're great, or you're you're accomplished. I want that. You know, and being intentional about that. Some folks, you know, have the competition thing messed up and misunderstood. Because when you're, come, let's say, competing against truly the people who are the best in your area, you find yourself competing with you in addition to ascending to that level. So thank you for pointing that out. And for those listening about, you know, who discuss competition in business life and and in sports, like being intentional about who and what you're competing against and for is what really allows the game to change for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. That's awesome. So. Tell me about, um, so you get drafted to the Ravens and you're in Baltimore. I see you. You see me. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like so, like so we get there, man. And you you already know, we, we come into a, a team that's established. Like, we talk about the defense. We had the number one defense in the NFL, you know, when we came in our rookie year. And uh, just talk about, like playing with those guys, um, how did it help elevate um, your game, man? So first off, I would say, which I know you're aware of this too, but uh, like when you first arrive in Baltimore, there's like a certain aura when you walk in that building. You know what I'm saying? It's it's just it's something that you that you just really can't explain, but there's just an aura and a culture about the Ravens, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so it kind of, when you first walk in, it just kind of starts with that. But then getting there and, you know, the caliber of players that we were on the team with, you know, from the the Ray Lewis's, the Ed Reed's. Uh, Mark Scott, Daniel Thomas, Kelly Greg, Alote Nutsa, Mark McAllister. Yes. It's on and on. Jonathan Ogden, just. Yeah. Right. All these just. Jamal Lewis. No. Yep. So it's like when you're in those settings, you, you can't do nothing but just. Elevate, you know what I'm saying? Like, just, I think it just becomes instinctual that you just gotta elevate, you know what I'm saying? And uh, but what you what I learned, and I'm sure what you learned too, PJ, um, is that along your journey prior to that, you had a bunch of experiences that hadn't already prepared you, you know what I'm saying, for that. Yes, you know what I'm saying, not even knowing that. It did, but it was already preparing you for that. So, like me, you know, competing with the older cousins and friends from the community, you know, with the older guys, right. <laughs> even though I'm the young one. And it's like, okay, then the same thing happened in college. I mean, yeah. that same type of setting. And then, boom, we go to Baltimore, and then it's like, man, this is like we at the pinnacle, you know. You, we, you in the 1%, but then you have – the 1% of the 1%, you know what I'm saying, who's 
like on the top of the mountain. So it's like uh, it, it just helped me to one, elevate my game um, athletically, but also in my personal and professional life too. So, yeah. nice. What would you say some skills that let's say you, you, as you mentioned, personal and professional life, some skills that maybe you took from the field that now you apply moving forward. You know, some people would argue that how you do one thing is how you do everything. So when you pick up those kind of skills from the situation and, and adjust, what are some things you took from the field that now you use in your life, in your coaching, in your work? So what I would say is that uh, one would be I always created like a set of principles, right? And within those principles, there's about like six, seven things that uh, that I kind of like write down or I call like my creed. And I truly didn't understand, you know what I'm saying, all of those principles and how instrumental they were like in guiding me in my life and, you know, how sports played a major part in that. But uh, one of the first things was, was like, writing down my goals, you know, like kind of seeing it and then seeing it to believe it, you know, and then that, that helps condition the mind to go after what those goals are. And then uh, from football is stepping outside of my comfort zone. You know what I'm saying? So going into that building with like that caliber of players and and then uh, coming from, like, a small town, you know, that that's a huge step coming from a small school. That's a huge step. You know what I'm saying? That's way outside of what I'm normally used to being comfortable with. Um, and then what it allowed me to do was copy the qualities and traits of, you know, some of these successful people. You know what I'm saying? Take the things, the things that that you would like to apply to your own life and copy those those qualities and traits. You know what I'm saying? And implement them into what it is that you're trying to achieve. And then um, another one is making it a habit. You know what I'm saying? Be disciplined and consistent with mm. with those qualities and traits. Yes, and um. And then also understanding that your circumstances doesn't dictate your growth. Mm. So coming from a small school, you know what I'm saying? Knowing that when I was in college, they had these, these uh, all-conference and actually some NFL-caliber cornerbacks that was in the conference, seeing that and knowing that where I was wasn't necessarily going to just dictate my growth. And the same with being in Baltimore, you know, um, knowing that, hey, you know, you're just this kid from a small town, but that's not going to dictate, you know what I'm saying, who I am and what I'm going to become as a player and also in my in my personal and professional life. So. Yeah. Nice. Nice, man. I mean, I, I just had to write it down. She said circumstances don't dictate your growth, man. I mean, I thought that was really cool because um, after after the game, uh, after playing in Baltimore, man, um, I feel like I let my circumstance kind of dictate my growth. It stifled my growth, to be completely honest, because, you know, I, like, as you mentioned, we all have goals. And, um, I, I wrote my goals down, but um, I didn't look at them every day. I didn't remind myself about, you know, accomplishing those goals. And one of the things that I wish that I would have had when I was younger is emotional intelligence. And so after the game, it was more of a challenge for me to, uh, to, to, to grow because I was still caught up in, 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 the, uh, in the league. And I, I feel like I left prematurely um, due to injuries, but I didn't think they were career ending. But on paper, it looked like it was. So um, I want to transition into you know, life after the game. How was that transition for you um, due, to those, to, due to your circumstances? Because I know for me it was difficult, but uh, what about yourself? So I would say that uh, me and you, 
have some similarities from that perspective um, because I dealt with a lot of injuries too, you know, mm-hmm. and that pretty much ended my career. Right. Um, so transitioning uh, to an extent was very difficult. Yeah. And I mean, some of it I was dealing with like, you know, the vices that come along with transitioning. But then also I had, like, I lost my father around that time. Um, so I had some other personal life things going on too. Right. And, um, and then, like, what I think helped me some was, like, some of the guys that I know was kind of going through that same phase around that same time, um, we would talk about it. You know, and, and then some people it, it would impact like drastically, you know what I'm saying? Because like most people think that when you transition, you know, like because you were you was this like top football player or this top athlete, then you know the world is just sitting there waiting for you and everything is gonna be like on a silver platter for you you know, once you go to transition, but it's actually not like that. I mean, I actually think that we have it a lot harder than normal people. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't come from normal circumstances. And, you know, like, and how I kind of explain it to people is like, yeah, we, we're these supreme athletes, right? top 1% of uh, of our profession. But what that does is when, when we leave college, even though we have education, you know what I'm saying? And we have all of these other qualities and characteristics that's been, you know, instilled in us from like day one. And if you were to match us up against anybody in most professions, you know, we would be able to hold our own and, Nine out of ten go out compete anybody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it just right. becomes second nature, and that's not like taking jabs at at anybody. But I mean, that's just who we are. But being removed, you know, from um, normal life, society, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like when you go to transition back into it. It's like uh, like when I was trying to transition and and trying to decide what my next career was going to be. It was oh, you don't have any experience. Mm. You know, it's like, I'm not going to have experience. <laughs> just you know I'm just deprived of years. <laughs> I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't go into the into the regular workforce. You know what I'm saying? My path is a path of like the 1%. So you can't really put me in that category with everybody else. I mean, I have a degree. I have the qualities, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the characteristics that, and the requirements that could fit these jobs, you know what I'm saying, that align with my degree, I just don't have that experience, but experience is mostly on the job training. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So Mm. like experiencing that and then like looking at the parallels from where I was to where I was trying to transition to, and it's like, I know what I bring to the table, but you're telling me that, Mm-hmm. You know, I'm basically not good enough. But if you if you put me in the room with these other people, then I would be able to compete. You know you'll, what I'm saying? You'll probably intimidate them. You know, right. Ability to, your natural ability to want to compete at the highest level and be the best version of you. So, you know, like that, that plays in a, in a hierarchy uh, part of business and politics. So I, I believe that, you know, that adds to the difficulty of athletes trying to transition from sports into their next career. Mm. And I mean, I think what that does too is it leaves a lot of athletes to like go into like uh, either broadcasting or being a, a, a trainer, a weight trainer, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Something along the lines of that. But that may not be what they really want to do. Right. But that's just kind of what they're doing because, Oof. you know, all of these vices that they have to contend with. 
like have this existence to what they were, what they've always known. All right. And, and to your point as well, David, it's, you see, it's, you know, the, you know, understanding where people have, have come through, have come from and what they've went through and knowing that this is that, that enough feeling happens at all levels. And this is going back to your point that sometimes people go, no, well, you got a lot of money or I bet you, you know, you play on TV. That means that you have no worries. It's like, man, shut up. Like that's what people want to say, but you can't say that because people get upset, right? Uh, <laughs> that, that enough feeling happens like at every single level. And again, obviously 99% of the population hasn't operated at the 1%. This is just literal facts. We're talking about how that operates. So again, imagine that enough feeling at any level it is difficult. And so helping people understand and the way you explained it is perfect. And heck, even an oversimplification, I'm sorry, is you know, let's say someone who goes to a restaurant or they, yeah, someone, they, they think they're an amazing cook, right? They made this amazing meal or they went to this restaurant. It was, it was, it was ridiculously good. And then they go home and they try to make the meal or somebody tries and they're like, yeah, we're shocking they do it. This is not, you know, the amazing restaurants like it. People actually go through that transition when they've eaten at an amazing restaurant and now they just can't see themselves going or they sit in first class for the first time ever. Now they can't see themselves going back to coach. <laughs> and that's just on a minor level. So when you talk to a professional athlete like yourself that is given literal blood, sweat, tears, their body and their minds to something. And then one day someone or something says your time is done. That can be devastating on mm. all levels. If, if that makes sense, if that's speaking to you at all, feel free to add anything, but it just, it made all that make sense when you say, cause sometimes that's the first thing people say is, well, well, you, you're on TV. Like, and that means what? Yeah, no, man, Stan, you, you bring up a really good point because a lot of people look over that and they just see athletes as like, well, you had your time, you had your 15 minutes of fame, you should be happy. But that's not what life is about. The pursuit of happiness goes way beyond that. And 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 sports is just a small fraction of our lives, especially when we're looking to live to 80, 100 years old. You know, it's, it's just something that I want our listeners to 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 take heed that this is what the athletes go through. This is it's a mental transition, physical transition, and also um, they need some support in the spiritual transition. And and we need like a great unity. Say it again. Grace. I didn't mean to step on you. Grace. Yeah. Grace. Exactly. We need that. We need grace. We need unity. We need we need to be able to come together and speak about the problems that we've all shared. And then, uh, and then look to look for a solution, some type of remedy. Because when you know that everyone is going to go through that same type of transition, no matter if they if they if they made a lot of money or not, prevention is better than the cure. And so we need to put something in place to make sure that everyone doesn't hit rock bottom. Because if everybody hits hit, hits rock bottom, then what's left? You know. So. Great point. I just want our listeners to understand that athletes go through a lot of changes, you know, from being the 1% to being a part of the 100%. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Yeah, because there are always people, and it's not like something was given. Like everything, every professional athlete could take, they earned it. Uh, outside of Tom Brady, okay, I have my own feelings, but right? outside of him, I'm just joking, right? Every player is earned. <laughs> Everything people have earned it. So I think that's what's important for everyone to understand because you all, let, let's say, as professional athletes, give it their all. And the average life, maybe a couple years, a few years, 40, whatever it is, most people work. 20, 30 years at one place that they're not necessarily crazy about. And I think people even understanding those different things as well. And I think all that to lead me to this question to you, David, is you've learned so much, you know, throughout your transitions. What's some, what's some advice that you would give to the younger version of you, right? If you look back, you had a chance to have a combo with that guy. Like, you know, what advice would you give him now that you know what you know? So kind of like with PJ, I can't remember which one 
of the principles that he wrote down, but um, uh, circumstances don't dictate your growth. Exactly. So what I would say is that uh, a lot of the principles or pretty much all of the principles that I that I talked about, I truly didn't understand that, you know, how instrumental they were in guiding me, mm -hmm. you know, so in like guiding me in life into who I am today. So it's like they were there, you know, but I didn't really they weren't really defined and I really didn't pay attention to them and how they were guiding me until maybe uh, about 10 years ago or so, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was like, what I would tell my younger self is if, you, if, if I was to kind of sit back and I don't want to say smell the roses, but if I were to really sit down and, process those principles and how they would be instrumental in my life as I was along my journey from the younger me until now. Um, I believe my, my growth phase would be a little bit different than what it is now. So that's what I would, I would tell the younger me or the next generation. It takes time to you know what I'm saying? Put together some principles and and understand them and then how you want to apply them to your life to help you grow into who you are. Right. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Well said. Yeah, well said. You know, um, uh, putting principles down is one thing, but actually applying them is another. You know, and so um, that was that was beautiful. Well said, man. So um you know, it's so much stuff that's going on in the world right now, and we are every. A lot of people are trying to figure out which way to go: go left, go right, you know, and they don't know. And um, you know, for me, I always think about the your 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 last your last breath on Earth, because uh, you know that's the most important thing. Because once you know, the, the breath is the bridge between being alive and being deceased. And so we don't really give that much thought. But I always ask people, or athletes, whenever they come on the show, um, if you only had 72 hours to live, what would you want to tell your loved ones? Um, and what would you tell them? 72 hours to live. Mm. Man, oh. I'll be trying to process a lot. <laughs> 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 you know, I might be asking man. I'll be asking the man upstairs, "Hey, just give me like a couple more hours added on. Like <laughs> get like an extra five or something." Give me seventy-seven hours. Come on, yeah. man. I'm good for it, right? It's the man. Just <laughs> a couple more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I mean, like, one of the main things is I would definitely let my family know. Uh, let them know that I love them first and foremost. Um, I would also make sure that along their journey that they are planting like positive seeds of growth, you know, amongst the family and also amongst people that they that they come in contact with, you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes there are little like small conversations that you may have with somebody it may spark something in you, you know what I'm saying? So that would be kind of like two of the main things that I would, I would try to hit home with them, make sure they know that I love them. Um, and I cherish, you know, the moments that I've had to experience with them. And that they, along their journey, you know, plant seeds of positivity and growth amongst the people that they interact with. Well said, bro. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful. It's like, that, that was touching right there. That was, <laughs> that was seriously, like, you know, real talk. Like, that was, that was really touching, man. So um, thank you for that. Thank you. Easily done. It's practical. It makes sense. 
And uh, yet people in general need to understand how important it is, as you said, to just plant positive seeds, growth. Mm. That piece is major. Thank you for sharing that. So what's, what are you working on now? How can people, you know, support you or learn more about you, David? So, man, as of lately, man, I, I, I actually been like pretty busy with uh, with work. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of stuff going on, you know, within the world right now. And uh, it's kind of impacting us operationally somewhat. Um, but I mean, outside of that, man, the main thing that I've been doing is uh, I've been helping these seventh and eighth graders um, at my alma mater high school, you know, kind of trying to instill some some sound characteristics in them, you know, because I, I know that, you know, when you like we were talking about these transitional phases are like beyond the game, you know what I'm saying? Like. Seven and eighth graders, they are transitioning from like elementary school going into high school. You know what I'm saying? So there's like this new foundation that that they have to make and you know that's gonna help them along that little high school journey. So that's some of what I've been doing. Um I also um working on this scholarship at my alma mater at Northwestern State uh to try to help a student athlete from my region from the the river parish area to attend northwestern state um sometimes some people ask why there and not just give funding you know to a student athlete to go to a place of their choice um i believe the reason why is is that one i wanted i want to try to help somebody from my regional area to try to grow. But then also there's a lot that was instilled in me and helped me along my journey at Northwestern State. You know what I'm saying? So I would like to see some growth there too. So that's a couple of the things uh, that I've been working on. And then the next thing is, is man, I'm looking forward to reading PJ new book, <laughs> you know? Hey, 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 hey. hey. <laughs> And I'm, like, I'm so hyped about that, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I might set the whole weekend aside. You know what I'm saying? Hey, <laughs> hey, man. Hey, and everything, man. <laughs> Peter, damn. Yeah. I'm trying to tell you. Hey, man, uh, man speaking of that, man, I, I, I wanted to tell you. Um, so uh, uh, my foundation for LBU, uh, For Life BU, uh, it's right now we are donating books to underserved um, schools, high school, uh, middle school. So um, let's definitely talk and put something together because I want to donate these books and send them send them your way. Um, and then after that, we'll follow up with like a, a little two to three week um, uh, like coaching session for young kids to get them really involved and just understand what they've read. And if they don't, if they can't even comprehend what they've read, we could do a read along. You know, to, to help them um, really dive into it because it's, we got to feed them this information at a young age and because it's going to take time, just like whenever you plant a seed in the ground, it takes time to grow to, and for you to be able to, to bear the fruit, to, to enjoy the fruit you know, that has grown from the ground. And so the same thing with this, we're planting this seed with these books, you know, to teach them how to become the best versions of themselves. And then after that, um, we, 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 we continue to mold them to help them grow in the right direction. So, man, I would love to uh, to partner with you, to gather with you, get Stan involved as well, man, and, and just have more more leaders that look like them and that can help them um, uh, really evolve, you know, times 10. And that's our way of giving back. Yeah, man, that sounds great to me. I mean, I also think that, that there could be an opportunity to expand that even more. You know what I'm saying? You you can reach even further uh, with the, the school systems, you know, possibly out here. So I, I definitely look forward to having some discussions about that and, and seeing how impactful we can be on that front. Let's do it, man. Like, ain't nothing to it but to do it, you know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Any final words or thoughts, you know, as we uh, – Get out of here and close out. Oh, man, I mean, I just appreciate the time. You know, I, <clears throat> I appreciate the fellowship. Um, 
and I look forward to communicating with y'all in the near future, man. And stay blessed. Man, uh, love it. You know, just happy. Life is life is great, even even in the midst of chaos. Um, and the, the I guess the main thing is we want to remind people that life is great. It's what you envision, what you see. You know, you follow that vision. You won't. You will not be hamstring or or feel like you are a victim of all the external things that are going on. You will always find happiness from within. So, um, those are my last words. And I just want to remind people, my. The, the power is within you. You know, I don't want to sound like Captain Planet, but uh, <laughs> you know, I just want to remind people that like you have the power to make change, and in order for the change to happen, you got to look within. And once you see the change within, it's going to happen in your external environment. So, absolutely. And if I can wrap that in a bow as a collective, quite simply, you know, you know, putting those words in this last statement, and that's quite simply to create what you want to see. And that is obviously what David continues to do and has done, what Prince has done, and what you watching or listening can absolutely do. In the midst of all this chaos, unprecedented times, and still adjusting right uh, through you know, the pandemonium, if you will, is that we have to begin to create. If we don't see happiness, we have to be happiness. If we don't see nice people, we have to be that nice person. And it just takes a little bit of effort to go a long way. And as we've been closing this out, we've you know, heard and been restating, you know, being able to plant seeds or planting positive seeds of growth. And if you are willing to plant that one seed, watch what will grow around you. So thank you officially again, David, for being an, an amazing guest. We never doubted so you. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate you so much for joining Yeah, and sharing your story and being so transparent and sharing the love. And for those of you all watching, please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube page at Game Beyond the Game. All right, don't forget to do that. And you can join us here next week on Game Beyond the Game Facebook Live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will see you then, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You, you split. Don't talk about you didn't know what time it was. We all get the five up to you, dumb. Now just kidding. <laughs> we love y'all and appreciate you so much. Have a great week, y'all. Have a great week, y'all. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new show is posted. And please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about our events, courses, and other programming, check out GameBeyondTheGame.com. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.